Hey, I'm continuing with a series called Take a Stand. Today's subtitle is Be Strong in the Lord. Before I open God's Word, let me share something that's not as important as God's Word. But funny, five deadly terms used by a woman. So after being married 44 years, I thought I'd help all you young married men or future married people. First deadly term, fine. This is the word women use to end an argument when she knows she is right and you need to stop talking. <laughs> Number two, what's bothering you? Nothing. Nothing means something and you should be worried. <laughs> Number three, go ahead. Do not confuse this with permission. <laughs> it's a dare and don't even think about it. <laughs> Number four, whatever. A woman's way of calling you an idiot. <laughs> Number five, that's okay. She's thinking long and hard on how and when you will pay for your mistake. <laughs> Bonus word, wow. This is not a compliment. She's amazed that one person could be so clueless. Speaking speaking a woman's language. In, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul concludes this. He didn't write the book of Ephesians, but chapters and verses, those were put in centuries later to give us reference points. But he's concluding a long letter to the church at Ephesus with this high point of truth. And he says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what I say to you, finally, my CFTN family, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. For those watching by live stream or in the video, I declare over you, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. God's will for your life is to be strong. The kingdom of God does not say only the strong welcome, but the kingdom of God is where God makes the weak strong. Isaiah 40 says it like this. Like this, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will walk and not faint. So God's, God's deal is this. No matter how weak you are, I can make you strong. So strength is our inherited grace, our, our blessed gift from God. And God wants us strong. So let's talk about a couple of things. In in battle, in spiritual warfare, the strongest power wins. And in spiritual warfare, God's kingdom gives you the strongest power. And so you have authority to win the battle of faith, to win the battle of, of declaring God's kingdom and will. Verse 11 says now, introducing us to what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is going to give us as a imagery, a metaphor for being strong. Put on, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may withstand against the wiles of the devil. That you may stand against the wiles of the devil. So Paul's going to liken these spiritual weapons, these spiritual graces, this empowering, revelatory understanding of what we have in Christ to the armor of a Roman soldier, the panoply, what a Roman infantry soldier would wear. 
And he uses the word that we can stand against, overcome the wiles. Methodia means trickery, the, the strategy to lie in wait, to ambush. So the devil's a, a master tactician and strategist, and he's, he attacks people, but God gives you weapons to overcome him. Some simple truth, Satan is smarter than people, God is smarter than Satan. When we walk with God, he will give us insight, authority, revelation to overcome the enemy. And that's how we overcome his weapons. Satan's greatest weapon is deception. Satan does not win because he overwhelms, overpowers people. He wins because he deceives them, especially believers. So God's given us by his spirit, his word, by his grace and presence, the tools to overcome. Verse 12 says, now introducing us to this broad truth. I just have to remind you, especially the Western church that acts the majority of the time as if the devil doesn't even exist. For we wrestle not against Democrats and Republicans. I'm sorry. Against flesh and blood. Stop fighting on the wrong battlefield. It doesn't mean that your beliefs and your core beliefs have no value, but understand something. There's a higher realm that we're called to war in. That's a spiritual realm. We don't wrestle against people. Paul wrote this during the Roman Empire's cruel, murderous reign. And he said, those people aren't our, our real enemies. It's the powers that reign over them. We don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, this age, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Paul literally gave kind of four levels of demonic powers. I'll say it simply like this, like, like the difference between a family spirit that controls a family, a spirit over a city, a spirit over a country, a spirit over an entire continent. There are different, Satan has a chain of command. And Paul said, no matter who comes to you, that chain of command, you can overcome. You can overcome the greatest demonic power on earth. Every Christian has authority over every devil, no matter how many stars are in that devil's the, uh, 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 uniform, no matter how much authority hell has given them, every single Christian has authority. And so we want to know it, walk it, and live it out as believers. So Satan's weapon is deception. God's weapon is truth. God's weapon is the anointing of his spirit. God's weapon is his church in his hands to set people free. So next verse says this, put on therefore, what, here, once again, the full armor of God, the whole armor of God, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand, stand now against something, endure, overcome, withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. What's the evil day? The evil day, I suppose, is, is both a, 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 you know, a revelation of a, a generation under evil influence, but also maybe the intense days that we feel most attacked. Those evil moments where we feel like all of hell is coming against us. So I'm called to overcome. I'm only talking to overcomers today. Oh, that's all of you. 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. By birthright in the kingdom of God, you're a world conqueror, a devil smasher. You're a history maker. You're a world shaker. By birthright, 
He that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the means of victory to overcome the world, even our faith. So God gives us these tools. So, so I'm supposed to withstand. In other words, I'm still standing even after the devil's thrown everything at me. I'm still standing. It feels like a, a good song. Standing. Still standing. Is that a song? Okay, thank you. People old enough to remember. Next verse now. So it, have you ever told someone to do something without giving them instructions how to do it? There's nothing more frustrating. You know, it's like someone, get better grades. Will you give me a new brain? What am I supposed to do? You have to give someone a pathway to fulfill an instruction or a commandment. Here's the how to do. The Bible doesn't give us just these broad concepts and say, do this. The Bible says, here's how you do it. It's going to talk about, here's how you overcome, you withstand, here's how you wrestle, here's how you emerge victorious as a believer in Christ Jesus, okay? We, we put on the whole armor. Uh, the, the, the word armor is panoply. It's the infantry soldier's uniform in the Romans, the Roman armor. So Paul's, Paul's going to now liken some things, his armor to things that we need to understand. Let's begin in verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. So everything begins. So when you think about the armor, this is the, the least um, uh, the, the least strong. There's no metal in this part. So this is literally the undergarments, or, or we would say your underwear. So my first point is this. Always wear clean underwear. <laughs> my mom would be so proud of me. She's from heaven. The way to go, Mikey. Tell them. What does that mean? To have authority over the devil, you can't have any skeletons in your closet. What does that mean? You have to be transparent. Satan rules over darkness. If there's darkness in you, you've given him a place to rule. You've given him access to rule. So we want to be walk in integrity, walk in transparency. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. So we want to keep, the Bible says, if we sin, we have an advocate for the Father, the righteous Christ Jesus. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the quicker you admit you're wrong, the quicker you become strong. So I'm a quick repenter. You with me? I mean, five seconds after I cussed the person out on the freeway, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they made me do this, but I'm sorry. If they weren't such a bad driver, don't kill them, don't send them to hell. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit alerts us to unresolved sin stuff, okay? We confess, Lord, forgive me, okay? Second part of it is this. We often truth is revealed in our life like, like an onion in layers. It takes us a while to get to the real substance, the real core part of our being. Remember the story in the Bible, there's a story of a man with a withered hand. And everyone knew in the community that, who, that this man had an atrophied hand, a non-functioning hand. So his hand is stuck in a position, can't use it. And so, but when he came to synagogue, when he came to temple, he hid it in his garment. And the, the, there's a couple of reasons. See, the primary reason is that Mosaic law says you can't come to temple with physical imperfections like that. 
And so to get around that law, they made this, this new way. So come to church, just hide it. So the problem with religion, the problem with Christianity, the problem with often church culture is we create a bunch of people hiding their withered hands. How you doing? Fine. How's life going? Great. In the parking lot. <laughs> Driving over. We put on masks. It's like we're handing out masks to the door. Get your mask on. Your shiny mask. No frowns allowed today. Everybody's happy. Everybody's healthy. You kidding me? Half, half of us bleeding out. It's a hospital. Treat him quick. Pray. My point is this. Jesus comes to the synagogue. Here's the man with the withered hand. And, and Jesus said... Stretch out your hand. Show everybody your issue. And the moment he revealed it, Jesus healed it. I remember it was at Chaparral High School in the early part of 1998, and the God was helping me overcome a massive life-threatening depression. But I'd never told anyone but marrying a therapist, maybe in my pastor, Dr. Kennedy. And... Uh, my, you know, people that with any kind of discerning knew. But I came to church and I said to the church, I've been in a serious, life-threatening, manic, suicidal depression for two and a half years. The moment I said it, it left. I literally could not wait for the next Sunday. i got more stuff I'm going to say to you next week. That's just the first thing. Wait till you hear the next things. Of course, I traumatized 140 people. Pastor's not perfect? No. Sometimes we're in worse shape than you. Pray for us. Now, here's my point. You have to break free from the pressure to act like you're something you're not. Amen? Yeah, okay. Second point. Besides clean underwear. What did Pastor preach about? Clean underwear. <laughs> I like to tell a funny story. Mary and Christina were out shopping this week, and I get this urgent phone call. Mike, search the house. I can't find my debit card. So I go, and Mary, our house, our house is so organized, it's intimidating. As a former recovering slob, <laughs> living in this house where every drawer is organized, I mean, I'll look for it, but so I'm looking in the places she could have been. Finally, she says, okay. I, I said, I looked everywhere. I can't find it. She says, check the garbage. Oh. So I go out in the garbage, and of course, our big, the big garbage cans in Arizona after the garbage is in there five seconds, it starts melting into some kind of grotesque goo. It's uh, this, this smell. This, uh, and so I open garbage canners, some, some plastic garbage bags. I open them up, and there is Hades itself. <laughs> Food and paper and God knows what else. And a week's worth of garbage, and I'm working through it all. Oh, my God. And I should have put gloves on. That's what I thought, though. 
working through it all on the garage. And, and finally, I reached the very last, I reached down and felt something. Oh, it was her bank card. Now, here's my point. Never get tired of working through your garbage. Because there's something worth discovering if you'll keep digging. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's an exciting journey when you say, God, change me, whatever, it, whatever you want to take out of me. God, really? Okay. Go to work, boys. Here comes the construction. <laughs> Digging out, helping us find what's beautiful. Point number two. So beyond that, put on, having put on, verse 14, the breastplate of righteousness. So righteousness in the New Testament is a gift that God gives us through Christ. It represents our identity as redeemed people. So the righteousness is perfect standing, right standing with God. It makes me think right. It makes me speak right. It makes me believe right and act right. It has a manifestation that we would direct and call holiness or Christ-likeness. But righteousness is an imputed gift. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he the Father made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God gave you the gift of righteousness as a gift. Now our earthly job is to identify, is to, is to truly believe in that, to discover the full implications of imputed righteousness. I am who God says I am. Amen. I am who God says I am. So the Bible reveals this standing. hundred times in the New Testament, the Bible says, I'm in him, in whom, in Christ. That's my identity as a believer. And so we're, we're, I, I, was, I told Pastor Eddie Picker this morning, and I was telling me about the story I read in Reader's Digest. Uh, it, it was an ancient magazine found in doctor's offices <laughs> for all young people. Reader's Digest? Yeah, back in olden times, we would print these little things called magazines. You, you read them and you're in your I'm reading this little article about a woman who served the Queen of England her whole life, like 60 years, a, a massive amount of time. And when she retired, uh, I think in her late 70s, the Queen gave her a little celebration ceremonial and a, and a plaque. And a few months after her retirement, a social worker was checking up on her. And to her shock, found her at the point of death in her bed. The gas had been cut off. There was no food in the house. And the social worker rush, races in and is treating her to revive her health. And as she's doing that in her bed, she looks above her bed and sees this, this plaque, this now in a picture, a picture frame. And she recognizes the Queen, of Engl uh, the Queen of England's signet. And so she leans in and reads it. And it said this, I, I the Queen of England, hereby agree to pay for every expense for the rest of her life for this woman. Whatever she needs, bill it to my account. And the woman said, how come you haven't taken advantage and had her pay your gas bill and buy your groceries and take care of your... And, and the woman in the bed said, I never learned to read. Now here's the sin of the church. To be biblically illiterate is to miss out on what the king's given you. And we don't want to be people that don't know what is ours. Part of spiritual warfare is simply knowing your identity. Every believer has authority over every devil, every agency of the enemy. And we overcome by knowing 
The devil can't do anything he wants against you. You're an anointed, blessed child of God. Amen. And I am who God says I am, not who people or my past or the enemy says I am. Next point about our identity is found in the next verse. Um, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So this is a Roman soldier's, from his knee down to his foot, there would be a bronze protective, like a catcher's in baseball, like a protective shin guard made out of bronze. And on the feet there would be, it would look like a sandal, but it was more than a sandal, wrap around his feet because at the bottom of the shoe would be spikes. Picture a golf shoe except with serious spikes, you know, three quarters of an inch, inch long. And the reason why there were spikes at the bottom of the soldier's shoe is they found out in battle that if you fall down, your odds of being killed on the battlefield increased exponentially. So you don't want to fall. And so what the soldier would do is he would stomp his feet into the ground and then when someone hit him, he would absorb that blow but not fall down. And so here's what God says to us. My peace is so powerful that when you stand in it, the devil can't knock you down. Like Pastor Matthew said, you can do anything. All the things that fear says you can't do, you can do because his peace is greater. And so at the, at the tip of the, this shoe were two long spikes coming out a couple inches. And these spikes were a weapon. So in the middle of battle, the Roman soldier could lift up his foot and drive it into the thigh of his enemy. So peace is not a passive consequence of your storm ending. It is a weapon to overcome the intimidating fear of that storm and to stand firm in the rest of God. That's what peace does. Jesus said in John 15, my peace. Whose peace? The peace of Jesus. My peace I give you. Not like the world gives, I give it unto you. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus said, I give you my peace, it overcomes the world. My peace, heavenly peace, divine peace, eternal peace, supernatural peace. So peace is not the absence of your problem, it's the presence of your God. The presence of his promises, his spirit. Every believer is called to have peace in your soul. The Bible said the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace through the Holy Spirit. So Philippians 4 says this, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. When anxiety comes, I pray about it. And I reclaim the setting of peace. Amen. Well, Pastor, I got a lot going on. Well, you might have to pray all during the day. Lord, I give this to you. Keep coming back to peace. All, listen, when we make decisions outside of the realm of peace, often they're bad decisions. Because we're letting other interfering agents, emotions, feelings, or circumstances really stop what God would do. The best decisions you will make, you'll make from a place of peace. Another part of it is when you pray about something, often the signaling confirmation of that being God's will is peace about it or a lack of peace about it. So when I pray about something, even though it looks difficult, the Lord says, I have peace. When I pray about something, it may look great. God says, no. You, you feel a unrest when you pray about it. That's God directing you through peace 
in your heart. So peace is your weapon to bust the devil. Please listen to me. You have to win the battle to live in peace. Something happens biologically to your body when you allow anxiety to have a long-term presence there, fear and stress. So we know biologically there are all kinds of negative consequences, even diseases born out of those kinds of emotions or thoughts. And yet God says, if you, if you rest in peace, your, even your body says, thank you. This is where we're supposed to live. Amen? So that's, that's the reason why we legalized marijuana, because people want peace. You with me? But, but my high is better than your high. My peace better than your peace. I'm not belittling you if you're still token and smoking. Or now you can get brownies. That part tempts me. I'd never smoke it, but brownies, eh, yikes. Get behind me, devil. God says, why are, you, why are you doing that? Don't you think my peace is better than that peace? Of course it is. Of course it is. The next thing that comes as a part of our weaponry to overcome is found in the next verse. Above all or outside of all, taking the shield of faith by which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So now, now see, see, faith now is given this imagery to a shield. And so a Roman shield, the Greek word is theros, which means a door. It would be rectangular, four feet tall or so. And usually the, uh, the Roman would, soldier would make his shield out of many layers, like six, seven layers of compressed leather on top of each other. And after that, it would be strong as metal. Now, out of all the armor, the, the shield required the most maintenance. In fact, it required daily maintenance in order to maintain its, its promise. So every day a soldier was given oil and a rag, and, and his job was to rub that oil into that shield so on the battlefield it wouldn't be brittle and break. Jesus said it like this, give us today our daily bread. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word feeds your faith. It builds your shield of faith. You can tell when your faith shield is low when stuff that doesn't normally bother you bothers you. Come on. Those days, everything's irritating you. It's more than your husband. It's your faith. What does that mean? Feed your faith and watch your faith stop those things from having authority in you. So the word uh, fiery darts is a great Greek word. It's belos, B-E-L-O-S. And a, a, a belos was literally an, ex, an exploding arrow. Either by, you see in the movies, they would take cloth, light it on fire and shoot it. But a belos was a way ahead of its time the Romans learned how to make like grenades. They would hollow out a portion of the arrow and put into it an explosive liquid and then tie it on to, then start the fire on the cloth. And what happened, when it would hit 
it would go off like a grenade. There'd be a massive explosion. So the devil's weapons are thoughts. And if your shield of faith is up, you put out those thoughts that come in and start a fire in your soul to destroy you. One thought from hell can create havoc in your life for decades. When unrestricted, unrestrained, undiscipled, uncontrolled thought. And so we want to put out those thoughts and rebuke them. So your faith shield can stop what the enemy does. Now, kind of the last part of it is, the, as the soldiers walk out to the battlefield, just before they engage the enemy, there would be these large vats of water, and they would dip their shields into the water just before battle. So when God gives you a today word, it puts out today's arrow. When you miss your word, you miss your protective gift for that season. In fact, God will God will always outsmart the enemy by giving you a word ahead of season. We were on vacation 19 years ago in Laguna Beach, and I became very sick. Went to an expert, had battery of tests, I'm diagnosed at the hospital, and he's now talking about a life-threatening diagnosis of a stage four cancer, blah, 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 blah. So it's all real, it's all intense. Mary's next to me and holding my hand. And he's going through all, all the, there was a, a hard to treat cancer. So as he's going through it and, uh, you know, talking about the expectation of, of dying, I leaned across the table. I couldn't talk very well, but I said this, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, I wasn't being rude. I wasn't being preachery. My spirit said, no. No, you're not supposed to die at 45 years old. And he, the doctor said, excuse me? I said it again, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, that's Psalm 118, verse 17, and for a couple of months, before I knew I was sick, God directed me to that scripture, and so I would just speak it all the time. And out of my spirit came this force of faith that said, no, that's a fact, but here's my faith. And my faith is going to change my fact. So your faith can overcome the world. Your faith can overcome the darts. Amen? So we're, so, so we're in a, a, a tense time. Don't believe what the devil says about your family, your health, your life, the future. But stop giving the devil everything he's, he says he's going to take. Let me help you. No, the devil can't have our country. He can't have this generation. He can't have your children, grandchildren, your marriage, your health. He can't have the city. He can't have the state. He can't have the church. He can't have the nations. Of the, he doesn't, none of those things belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell in him. It belongs to God, not the devil. The devil's a liar. And so your faith has to rise up when those fiery missiles come in. You've got to talk back when Goliath said to David, I'm going to chop you up like a chicken dinner and use your bones to clean my teeth. I'm going to kill you, you little runt. David didn't say, stay there all quiet. You've got to talk back, yakety yaks. Talk back. You got to tell the devil. Never let the devil have the last word. And David said, no, no, no. I'm not going to die. You're going to die today. I'm going to kill you, cut off your fat head, and then kill the army behind you. And all the world will know the battle's the Lord's. Your faith 
is strong enough to overcome the battle you're in. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I feel compassion because I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. And I know what it's like to overcome. Overcoming better. <laughs> it's better to overcome than to feel defeated. Come on. Someone in the Southern Baptist congregation give me an amen. <laughs> Lastly, let me wrap this up quickly. The helmet of salvation is the next part of it. It says this. And verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier's helmet was thick iron. It was heavy. It would be coated with cork, something a little softer on the inside. But it was strong enough to withstand a direct sword or axe blow. Now, when Paul, Paul advances this thought in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he says this, and for a helmet, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so he inserts the word hope, which is so pivotal. Because here's what he said, here's how your salvation helps you when you live in the hope that it's given to you in Christ. Now, hope protects your thought life. From everything the enemy, the enemy is trying to steal your future, steal your rest, steal your peace, steal your dream, rob your destiny, steal your purpose, make you discouraged, despondent, depressed, sad, miserable, hopeless. So, so, so hope says, nope, 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 nope. The best is yet to come. Peter said, be ready to give a defense when people ask you for the reason of the hope that is in you. The word hope is the Greek word elpis, E-L-P-I-S, and it means a joyful expectation of good for the future. Be ready to tell people why you're so happy when life is crappy. Be ready to tell people why you can tell them the best is yet to come while things look like they're burning down. Be ready to tell people why you have an unreasonable, undefeatable, uncommon, unearthly hope that's not based on your circumstances, it's based on your God, that's not based on people's word, but God's word. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And may you abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to have so much hope you irritate people. I mean, you witness the people. He wants you to have so much hope that you are an influencer everywhere you go. What is this hope? God's got it. The best is yet to come. Come on, I want to be 92 here, you know, when Matthew's, Candace passed me to church, and I want to be, now come in the pulpit. Huh? I don't say, I got a word for this year. The best is yet to come. This is going to be the greatest year in my life. Never let the devil take your hope. Hope deferred makes your heart sick. Don't let the devil make you hopeless. I know what it's like to lose hope. When hope walked out, depression walked in, and God has so much grace for you. He will heal your heart. He will love your heart until you can, your heart can hope again. You know your heart's healthy when it dreams again. And keep your hope on. Come on, t tell someone next year, the best is yet to come. Just tell them that. <laughs> Lastly, here we go. And take up, the Bible says this. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So all these things are included in prayer. Now, now here's the last point. 
the sword of the Spirit. I was reading the story of Gideon years ago, and I was first, I, I was wrestling with Gideon's pronouncement. Gideon took 300 men and fought the Midianites, a 100,000 men army. And of course, Gideon won because it was God's was with him. But Gideon goes, comes to Idaho, they break their pitchers, they they release lit torches, they blow trumpets, and then they shout in unison, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And I thought, kind of presumptuous, you know, to add your, insert your name into that sentence. And the Lord challenged me, said, you know, I couldn't have done it without him. Hmm. I couldn't have done it without him. I needed someone to believe. Now, here's what God says to us. In the New Testament, the word two-edged sword is diastomos. Di means two, stomos means mouths. It means this. When God speaks to you, half of that blade is formed. Half of the blade of the sword of the Spirit is formed. When you hear a word from God, whether it's from his word or a prophetic word, however God speaks to you, primarily through his word, though. But the sword is incomplete until you add your voice to God's voice. And when you say what you hear, you'll see what you say. So God, God can't do it until you say it. There's power in your word. The, I want to say this gently. So Mary and I moved, we started a church in 1985 called the Eagle's Nest. God blessed it. 1986, I, I, I was going through a season I couldn't explain I, I was having a hard time hearing from God. And in my ministry, I got nothing if God's not talking to me. You with me? I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't, if God's not talking to me, adios, amigos. <laughs> so I'm having a hard time hearing from God. And, and I, so I repented for my sins. Mary's, Mary doesn't have any sins. <laughs> the sins of the world. And I, I, I still, and the Lord said to me, two pastors from California, from their pulpits, cursed you. They didn't cuss me. They said, he's disobedient. He moved to Arizona. He's going to fail. And God showed me their faces. And then the Lord said, I'll confirm this. The next two weeks, people will come from those two churches to visit your church. And they will tell you, the pastor said from the pulpit, you will fail. Sure enough, the next two weeks, bang, bang. Pastor, I don't want to discourage you. But our pastor said from the pulpit, you're out of God's will. You're going to fail. I said, Lovely. Now, here's the point. Those men had authority. They misused it by cursing me. So the Lord took me to Isaiah 54. First of all, the Lord said to me, forgive them. None of this. I send that curse back to them. Double time. Seven times worse. May they get athlete's foot and may their wisdom teeth fall out. I don't know. Now, we bless those that curse us. We forgive those that hurt us. So the Lord took me to Isaiah 54, 17. This is 1986. And it reads this. No weapon. Mm. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every word. Now he explains what the weapons are. Every word spoken in judgment against you. You shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord 
and their inheritance is of me. Isaiah 54, 17. And the Lord said, I'm going to teach you how to break word curses against your life. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, I break every word curse those men spoke or anyone else spoke. I declared no weapon, no sorcery, no incantation, no false prayer, no false prophecy, no, no uh, uh, criticism, no, no, no words spoken against people will prosper. Only God's word. My life is submitted to God's word, to God's kingdom, to Jesus Christ. So I learned to break word curses. Come on, stay with me. Because I'm gonna, I, I need you to get this because this is such an agency of demonic activity. Jacob has his last son born. Unfortunately, it cost him his, the love of his life, his beloved uh, Rachel's life. So he's holding this baby and the nurse said to him, your wife died. Her last breath was to name your son Benoni which means son of my great sorrow. As she left the earth, she literally said, this baby killed me. So he's holding son of my great sorrow. He had, he had all these sons, the women named all of them except one. He's holding Benoni. And he says, no, I'm not going to let my precious wife's pain curse the destiny of my son. He will not be Benoni, son of my great sorrow. He will be Benjamin, son of my right hand. And God is going to teach you to undo some things spoken against you. That you were stupid. You'd never be anything. You'd never love again. You'd never know whatever. Yeah, the devil's a liar. And God will, God will take you to those curses and he will help you stop them. And end them. Now, it's not just that anyone, the more authority a person has, the more agency is, is affecting into our life. Now, I don't want you to be afraid of it, but I do it all. I break curses all the time. I break them all the time. Because the more public you get, the more things are said. And it doesn't matter to me. I don't curse anybody back. I, I just declare no weapon is going to prosper. No weapon, no, no curse. No this, no that. I remember when our son Timothy was born, a lady, a prophetess, a witch. And uh, it's amazing how much witchcraft is in the charismatic community. And she said, uh, you know, God showed me. She was praying for Tim to die, my son Timothy to die at birth because I wouldn't let her teach a class. And so... I, I came to her and I said, God showed me everything. She started trembling. Uh, and I said, everything you said, not one word will come to pass. <laughs> now, I believe there might have been some problems there if God had not shown me that. He didn't show me that, just that he stopped something. He stopped witches. He stopped, the devil will stop him. I don't care who in your family is yapping about you. I don't care who above you. I don't care who, what pastor has cursed you. I don't care what kind of pain. My God, the power of Christ in you. The Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Come on, stand your feet. I want you to say this with me. I want you to declare this with all your strength and authority. Say this out loud, no weapon. No weapon. 
Come on, say no weapon formed against me or my family will prosper. And every word spoken against me in judgment I condemn. I break every word curse. I cancel every false prayer. I rebuke every false prophecy. And I declare in Jesus' name, only God's word has authority in my life. And I am free, free, free in Jesus' name. Come on, someone give God a shout of praise. Come on. I will say this. I became friends with the pastors who cursed me. I never challenged them on it. I let God take care of it. I refused to let my soul get offended about something God had me conquer in the spirit. Oh, God showed me something about it. Well, good. Pray it off of them and go love them. <laughs> Sometimes that's harder, harder to do than it sounds. Uh, you don't know them. Uh, yeah. Hey, prayer team, join me down front. We're going to have such a great night tonight. I was ministering last week in beautiful Ventura, uh, California. The high that day was 73 degrees. <clears throat> they were talking about a heat wave coming in. It was going to be 80 the next week. <laughs> I had to pray in tongues and hold my hand down from slapping them all. And the end of the one of the services, I had prophesied to these people and was just down front, like I do, just praying for people at the altar. And a woman had come like kind of close to me, and a woman in her 30s. And, uh, you know, I saw her, but she didn't come all the way. The pastor went and got her and brought her all the way to me. So this young woman was a daughter of a prominent family in the community. Uh, I think they live in Montecito and, you know, just wonderful Christians, but their daughter, her heart was hardened to the gospel and to ministry. So everybody is prayed for, nothing's happened. She's just hard-hearted. <clears throat> in fact, she will cuss you out at the altar, that kind of hard heart. So pastor brings her to me, and I said, can I pray for you? She says, I don't know. I said, well, I said, it's not going to hurt you. Two sentences into my prayer, it turned into a prophecy. God showed me two events in her life that were traumatic and life-threatening. The moment I said that, she started weeping. And pastor's eyes got huge. She, she's been coming to church 15 years, never cried, only came because her parents made her. One prophetic word unlocked her heart. And Jesus started healing all that trauma. <clears throat> I said that to really encourage you. We have an army of people here that hear from God, including these lovely people up front right now. And just one word from God can make a difference. As we close today's service, we, the high point of this meeting, of this gathering, will be people coming to Jesus. If you've never received the gift of salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, we invite you. Romans says it like this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation's a gift. You receive it, you don't achieve it. And it comes through Jesus Christ. We'd be so honored to pray for you today if you don't know him, if you don't know what it means to be saved. If you've been away from God, 
you're a Christian, but you've been away from God. Man, I'm so proud of you for making it to church or watching today's service. But make today a turning point day. Let someone stand with you in prayer. We believe in praying for those that need physical healing, laying our hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what Jesus said. If, you're, if you need a healing in your body, we'd be honored to pray for you. And lastly, maybe you're just going through real spiritual warfare. I talked about it a little bit. But we'd be honored to pray for you today. If you need a pastor, I'm just going through a difficult season. No matter what your need is, if you want prayer today, would you please join us down front? Church, just worship the Lord for 60 seconds longer while those seeking prayer come forward. honored to serve here. Stay with us as long as you want. Don't forget tonight's service at 6. going to be amazing. If you're leaving, tell someone the big smile on your face. Jesus loves you like crazy. God bless you. See you at PNL. Have an awesome week.